Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. So this semester, we're doing a series called Redeeming Work and Receiving Rest. And you can see kind of this duality here, right? You know, work and rest. There are always this kind of uh, dichotomy or interchange between these two things. Uh, we're doing the first half, to, half of the semester on work and the second half of the semester on rest. So um, there's a lot of good things to say about both. Um, so this is kind of the first in our series of talks on work. And we kind of need to go back to the beginning in order to understand what is work for in the first place. Um, in order for us to understand what went wrong, how to fix it, we need to go back to the very beginning and ask, okay, God, why did you create work? What is it for? What do you want us to get from it? Um, I had a friend, uh, a good buddy, he is actually the RUF campus minister at MIT, but he asked me once, do you live to work or do you work to live? He said, this world is made up of two different types of people. Are you live to work or work to live? And I had to think, um, who are you? Who are you? Let's, let's get a, a show of hands. If you are a live to work kind of person, raise your hand or raise your internal hand if you want. <laughs> I think I probably lean that way. Like, I love my work. I love what I do. Uh, resting can be hard for me. Um, and then there, there are other types of people, so to speak. Of course, this is all a theory, right? Um, that work to live. Can I, do we have any work to live people? Okay. You love to play. You work for the weekend. Monday's the worst day of the week. Um, you know... When we think about work and we think about rest, we often think in terms of these opposing, conflicting, dichotomous things, right? Uh, these things that you have to choose between in life. You either work or you sleep, you rest, you enjoy your time. Um, one way to know who you are is when you go on a vacation or you go on winter break or summer break and what your mind is on those first few days? Are you thinking about your work? Are you thinking about your studies? Are you thinking about your career? Uh, and maybe the, the opposite is true as well. When you show up to the library, you're making weekend plans, <laughs> um, uh, is, is what you're doing in your library, Carol. Um, but is there anything beyond this, guys, right? We, we, we kind of uh, think of this, this holy grail of life as this work-life balance, right? Or life-work balance, depending on which type of person you are. Um, we want this balance. And I, I'm, I'm in the, I read self-help books. I'm, I'm going to just come out and say that. I, I, I do, I, I do. I find productivity books incredibly helpful. And, and a lot of times what I'm seeking for is this work-life balance. If I can only achieve that, then I can coast. Then my life will be perfect, right? But what we find is this balance is always on the other side. It's always on the next uh, book in your Kindle uh, that you got spur of the moment because you're distracted and you buy a book called Indistractable. Um, <laughs> true story. Um, so I think what we'll see tonight is that God's framework, God's design for work is a harmonious unity between work and rest. 
that we are not meant to live as conflicted, internally uh, embroiled people. We are meant to live uh, as harmonious, whole, integrated people where work and rest have a proper relationship. Um, In the Christian scriptures, the Bible, which is uh, maybe on a seat next to you, uh, the very beginning recounts the beginning of the cosmos, God's creation of the universe. And in this, he talks a lot about work. We get a framework for work, if you will. I want to look at two things, God's design for work and our response to that. Another way to put it is God works and we work. God works and we work. So first, God works. Genesis 2, skipping ahead, 1 through 3. Let's look at those verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, when I usually read this passage, I hone in on the seventh day, rest, rest, rest. But three times it mentions his work that he had done for this first six days of creation. Um, We we don't actually know if it took a day. We don't actually know if this is uh, implying just a a framework in which to understand a theological meaning. Um, That's a debate or a discussion for another time um, in terms of how long it took, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But just think about this and let it sink in. God works. God works. He worked. He works. He will work. Um, In God, in his perfection, uh, in his wholeness, in his uh, omniscience, omnipotence, nothing was lacking from him. Uh, out of the overflow of his love and grace, he worked. He created the universe, which includes its crowning achievement, humanity, which is you and me. I think there are two, at least two, implications of this. Because God works, there is an inherent dignity in work itself. And secondly, because God works, There is an inherent glory in work. So first, dignity. Because God in his perfection nevertheless worked to create the world, and the crowning achievement is his humanity, which are made in his likeness and image. When we work, we mirror God. We act like God. And even the most menial labor, there is dignity Maybe next time you're walking out of CAS and you see uh, the, the, the janitor, the custodian, mopping the floors. Think about this. There is dignity in labor in, of every kind. Um, your, your professor, uh, President Brown, uh, the, the president of the United States, uh, from the top to the bottom, there is dignity and inherent dignity in all of those kinds of work. Uh, for uh, I'll, I'll probably mention this several times. For about six months of my life, right out of college, I was unemployed. And, and guys, when, when, you, 
when you get something that kind of gives a structure to your life and gives some sort of purpose to your life taken away from you, you realize how much you miss it. After a while, I, I know we have some Starbucks baristas in the room. After a while, I just, I just went and got a job at Starbucks. I knew I was eventually gonna, gonna be a missionary and I was raising support to do that, but I was just bored. I needed something to do. So I, I was so happy when I started waking up at like 5 a.m. and opening up the Starbucks that was the busiest one in the state of Georgia um, because there's a dignity in work itself, just the sheer act of doing it. There's dignity. We're acting like God when we work. Um, you may know Guinness, uh, the beer, but the Guinness family is actually uh, a family full of uh, Christians, um, actually. Um, and, and there's one side of the family that are a bunch of missionaries. Uh, so it's an Irish family, no big surprise there. Um, but uh, so there was this woman named Jane Lucretia Destere, and I think she married into the Guinness family. Um, she would later become part of the, the side of the family that was this, uh, this line of, of missionaries. And so the year was 1815. She lost her husband in a duel, as, as you know, that happens uh, in the year 1815, I suppose, in Ireland. This is uh, something that happened. Uh, and uh, I think it was a kind of famous thing. She, she loved her husband. She was so distraught that she went to the riverbank and she contemplated ending her life and throwing herself in the river until she looked across the river and she saw a young man plowing a field. She saw this man so skilled and intent, even creative in that work of just plowing a field that he made the newly, this is a quote, the newly turned furrows look as finely executed as the paint strokes on an artist's canvas. She noticed something that in that time was so commonplace, so menial, so normal. And in that plowman's work, she saw God. She, she saw something worth living for. Work, purpose, meaning. And she ended up giving her life to God and having a grandson named Oz, which is a great name. Name your son Oz. I want to meet him one day. Oz Guinness, who wrote this book called The Call, which I would say during that time of my unemployment, that was the book that meant the most to me and really changed the course of my life. He wrote that book about his grandmother. Praise the Lord that she saw that man behind the plow. There is a reason to live this life, to image God in our labors and to fulfill a part of our calling in this world. And a lot of that has to do with just our daily labor. And guys, I, I know you, you come to be you and you're expected to have these, these, these just wild, outrageous ambitions. And maybe you do, and, and, and God bless you for that. But, but friends, whether you are tackling climate change in Congress or changing diapers in the suburbs, there is dignity in that work. You are imaging God. You are being like God in that labor. 
I also said that there's glory in our work because God works. So in chapter one, it says that God appreciated the glory of his work. So if we were to read the the whole of chapter one, you'd see that at the end of each day, he said, and God saw that it was good. He's basically saying like, yeah, that's good. (laughs) And then he woke up and then he did the same thing the next day. That's a little bit of an anthropomorphism, but you know what I mean? And then at the end of this, at the end of the sixth day, he created male and female, the image of God, humanity, he said, that is very good. He enjoyed it. He reveled in it. He gloried in the beauty of his creation. His accomplishments deserved noticing. Um, and, and he especially did this, you know, he, he took a whole day. Um, we don't know how long that was. There, there's a lot of theological meaning in the seventh day that we'll unpack uh, a lot this semester. But, but he, he stopped his labor to enjoy to glory in the work that he had done. Guys, I think um, we, we know a little bit of this glory. When you receive that, that compliment after you have just poured your heart into something, and maybe you, you've played a concert or you've, um, you've ice skated and won a, a competition, um, and you get that congratulations or you get that reward or you get that hug, whatever it is, ah, it feels good. You glory in it. Um, And those uh, ways of glorying and work, you really do need to stop, right? You do need to stop and rest to enjoy your labor. And this is what God did. And if we don't do that, if we never stop working, uh, if, if we view our work as an end and of itself, guys, we, we become less than the humanity we were meant to be. We do not become more dignified. We not, do not glorify ourselves more, but we, we become less of that. We denigrate the image of God in us to both find the inherent dignity in the actual work itself is to image God and to stop and glory in the work, to take a step back and say, wow, that looks good, is to image God himself. So God works, we work. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Our very existence we owe to God. Everything we have is a gift from him. And that includes our work. That includes our labor. Before sin entered the picture, we're in Genesis 1 and 2. We haven't gotten to chapter 3 where Adam and Eve fall and sin enters the picture. This is before Sin enters the picture. Both God is working and enjoying his labor and resting, and he is creating men and women to do the same. I kind of want to condense uh, or, or kind of sum up the, the, the two things that I think God is, uh, God is saying here um, by just saying fill and rule. Um, when I say fill, I mean that this be fruitful and multiply. And when I say rule, I mean this 
the subduing the earth and having dominion over its creatures. Uh, let's first look at this fill. So certainly it implies procreation. We're not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, but it also implies that we are to be fruitful in our labor. Right? That this, uh, this work that we are called to is meant to be uh, generative. It's meant to bring life into the world. Um, it's meant to uh, be making new things, inventing new things, composing new pieces of music, uh, restoring lives through your counseling work, healing bodies uh, through your chemistry, through um, your work in an operating room. It's meant to bring life, to fill the whole earth with life and more and more of it. Um, the Garden of Eden uh, was created as this place, kind of the, this temple of worship for God, this garden where Adam and Eve lived. The whole plan, and, and what even God is saying here in the immediate sense, is that they are to go out and make the rest of the planet Earth like the Garden of Eden. There was work to be done. The entire planet uh, needed cultivating. And sinfully, we often uh, distort this by doing the opposite. Instead of filling, filling, we engage in emptying. What do I mean by that? Instead of uh, bringing life into the world, we kill. Instead of creating, we destroy. Instead of building up, we tear down. Instead of stewarding creation, we let it go to waste. We let chaos take over. We are meant to fill, to be fruitful and multiply. The second thing is to rule. And this is kind of summing up the subdue the earth and have dominion over its creatures. Uh, when we see the word subdue and have dominion, it, it, it's like, whoa, that's, that's serious. Wow. Um, rule, um, if we hold this into the, in the context of God's character, God's holiness, God's grace, God's mercy, as these kind of vice regents of God's, we are to exhibit his character in ruling the earth. Um, we don't often think uh, of power as something positive, uh, but we actually all have, to a certain degree, power. And what God is saying here is that we are to exhibit that power or that rule over what God has given us uh, from God's character. So this means uh, for you maybe right now, Kim 101 is your little do domain. <laughs> that little textbook, you are to master that, right? To the best of your ability, to organize the information, to memorize it, right? Um, it may mean uh, managing the little money that you have and figuring out how to budget it, to tithe it, to make ends meet, that you have power over, right? Now, we don't all have the same amount of money, but we thankfully do all have the same minutes in a day. That is something we're all called to rule over, how we spend our time, how we manage that. And when we do that, when we do it responsibly, we are imaging God. Jesus says that he who is faithful in little will be made responsible for much. That if right now you can ask yourself as a college student in my little world, what has God called me to rule over? 
uh, to steward, to make more of. And if you can be faithful in that, God may give you more responsibility. He may give you a, a family, a career, maybe an organization. Who knows? Maybe there's a POTUS in our midst. Um, I want to ask you this question. Are you seeking to image God, to reflect him, to mirror God in your work and glorify him in the process? Or are you worshiping your work as God? Is work an end in and of itself, or is it a means by which we glorify God? A way to diagnose this is to ask yourself, is there a sense of dignity in the purpose and purpose in the work I do? Can you enjoy the, the sheer doing of it, which might be a grind sometimes? Can, can, we, can we adjust our perspective to enjoy the, the process and what you're heading towards? Is there meaning in that? And at the same time, are you able to take a step away from your work on a regular basis, a daily, weekly, maybe monthly, quarterly, yearly basis to rest and enjoy your work? If we have one and not the other, uh, there's something missing, right? There's not the wholeness Uh, There's not the purpose. By doing it for God and to his glory, we honor him and we fulfill our purpose. Friends, you you may be uh, just really off course. And believe me, I have been there. I have been really off course in my life when it comes to this. And it's never too late. It's never too late uh, to change course, to turn away from the path of worshiping work and turn towards worshiping God in your work. Ephesians 2.10 says that uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's really good news that I want to close on. Uh, God is at it again. He's at it again. He's at work. And he's working on something new, something that none of us have fully seen. And it's called the new creation. Right now it's invisible. It's in the spiritual realm. It's happening in our hearts. But it will one day be made visible. And his new creation began when Jesus rose from the dead. That was a little preview of what's to come. He's the the first fruits of a kingdom, uh, a new heavens and a new earth that one day the curtain will be made, uh, it'll be taken away, the veil will be lifted, we'll be able to see this new creation that he's working for. Um, isn't that something that you would like to be a part of? Working towards that new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. Father, we, we just pray that you would help us to be faithful uh, laborers. Lord, we know that... Um, our labor is always, ne- it's never complete. Um, and we know that, um, wow, that you are, you are working. Um, even when we don't see it, Lord, you are behind the scenes bringing about your purposes, 
Uh, you are redeeming us, restoring us, remaking us after the image of Christ. We pray that you would do that by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.